Oh, fuck. I got the theme music. Uh, Renaissance. Do, 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 fuck the no. music. No, we need the music. Gotta have the music. What is that chirping? Yeah. Oh, it's birds. All I gotta close the okay. window. <laughs> I thought that was an app or something. You're adding a new <laughs> element to the show. <laughs> what is that chirping? <laughs> it's called a bird. Here we go. you know I sang all of those vocals myself when I was recording that I knew that I just said to I, I had to wrap a rubber band around my uh, nuts to get those, some of those high notes but I oh, did it suck some helium <laughs> yeah. yeah welcome back to the renaissance show and congratulations to everybody uh, because this is our first premium episode so you forked over some yes. of your cash instead Love of spending you. it on cocaine and hookers right. Right. you've spent it on uh, or learning more about history and being entertained by a couple of idiots right. um, so thank you we appreciate your support yes um, October 28 312 CE Ray is yeah. uh, a date Yes, it is. Can't get nothing past you. They crossed what was left of the Melvian Bridge, and Connie Big C owns Rome. You know, what I always think of when I think about the Melvian Bridge. What's that? <laughs> this. Hold on. Oh yeah, that's the spot. What are you so tense about? Oh, nothing really. Just a homicide. <laughs> Oh, that's terrific. Mulva. <laughs> what? Mulva. Mulva? Oh, my, uh, my aunt's name is Mulva. She's, she's a masseuse. Yeah. Um, I'm going to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Oh, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> He's going through a handbag. Oh, I was just looking for uh, some gum or mint. Oh, I have junior mints. No! No, I don't. <laughs> no thank you. They're very refreshing. <laughs> Any news? No, no news. You better get out of here. Oh, oh, no, wait a second, wait a second. I don't know what the name of this woman in the bathroom. So when she comes out, you introduce yourself, and then she'll be forced to say her name. Brilliant. 10 Okay. Hello, I'm Kramer. Nice to meet you. See you later. <laughs> well, I'd better get going. I don't want to be late for the play. Oh, okay. You know, my cousin knows the producer. I may get to go backstage and meet Olympia Dukakis. Oh, hey, there's a name you don't forget. <laughs> hi, Jerry. Hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Hi, I'm George. Oh, nice to meet you, George. Yeah, I gave it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Melva! <laughs> it's surrounded by, yeah, the, we're going to call it the Melva Bridge from now on. It is the Mulv- people. Yeah. yeah, the Mulva Bridge. <laughs> Rhymes with a body, female body part. I think that was the thing in Seinfeld, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that show is like 20 years old. Can you believe that? I, uh, I don't want to. I 20 want plus to. years old. Jesus. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Connie wins. Uh, the battle at uh, the Milvian Bridge, as we talked about in the last episode, marches into Rome with the head of Maxentius yeah. carried on a spike, just like <laughs> Jesus would have done before him, because he's a good Christian. Constantine. What would Jesus and, do? That's right. I know it, it, that's a, that's that's uh, something in the Bible that a lot of people miss unless you read it very carefully. Right. That uh, blessed be they who shall carry the heads of their enemies on a spike. Uh, that you know, little-known uh, version yeah. of the Sermon on the Mount. 
For, yeah. Well, I think Connie would just wanted to make sure that everyone knew that Max was dead. He's not coming back from this. People rarely do. And there's a new sheriff in town. And there's no better way to do that than to put the former leader's head on a pike. And to kill that former leader's wife and young son. <laughs> oh, no, really? Oh, mm-hmm. mm, no. I wonder he if he... just lock uh, him up? Yeah, no. <laughs> I wonder if he put their heads on spikes as well and did a little puppet show. Hi, oh. my name's oh. Maxentius. Hello, son. I'm back from work. Really, Dad? I used to be put, the emperor. Yeah. Put a robe yeah. around the, the spike and just... It's a bit like a Punch and Judy show. He's sitting behind the thing with their heads. Anyway, oh praise, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Pass the spike. Heads on spikes. Yeah. Now, one of the first things... Christian Constantine does after his victory is disband the Praetorian Guard. Why might he have done that, Ray? Well, I would imagine, you know, because these guys are paid a shit ton of money, which is an official amount. Uh, they, they're always loyal to the emperor, except for when they're not and they kill him. But yeah, these guys have been uh, on, on Max's side for a long time. You've got to get rid of them. There's a new sheriff in town and you either kill them all or send them far away. But but that's nothing but trouble. Um, if, if you court them, you've, you've got to neutralize these guys pretty quickly. Yeah, the Praetorian Guard, who was, of course, uh, created by our mate Augustus, uh, as people know, I'm sure, if you know a little bit about your Roman emperors, but we will get into this as we continue our series on the Julio-Claudians, uh, they got to a point where they started to decide, yeah, yeah, we elections, overrated. Uh, we can We can make... Yeah, we can we can make and break emperors. We're the guys, you know. Yeah. We we like the cut of your jib there, sir. <laughs> we will make you emperor as long as you do what we tell you. And they become a power yeah. in the uh, intervening yeah. three hundred years, yeah, since Augustus. And uh, when Galerius Galerius uh, tried to disband them in three hundred six, they had raised Maxentius to the throne. Right. So uh, this is the end of the Praetorian Guard. After 300 glorious years, um, Connie, Christian Connie, uh, disbands them and sends them out to guard the frontiers of the empire. They're sent to the Rhine. They're sent to the Danube. And then in February 313, Connie and Licinius met in Milan so Licinius could marry Constantine's sister. Uh-huh. In that great tradition of marrying your enemies. Yeah, because that always works. To your sisters or daughters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I'm, and I'm sure these two will be happy for the rest of their lives now. It's all well, going to work out well. It, it's going to be just fine. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about the Praetorian Guard. You know, there weren't they weren't allowed to have weapons within the uh, Pomerian walls. And I'm just thinking, yeah, if you're the only guys who have weapons within the city... Eventually, you're going to figure out that you, yeah, you've got the power. I just wanted to mention a couple of things about Connie when he gets into town, when he rides in there strutting. Uh, I thought it was interesting that. Um <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, that's fine. So, so, um, so Connie uh, does when he gets into Rome, he does not go. And I just, I just wanted to fill in some gaps because I just, you know, because you know, what's this guy going to do now that he's in charge of the of his half of the uh, empire? So he does not go to the Cap- um, Capitoline Hill and perform the customary sacrifices at the Temple of Jupiter. We're not saying that he's a Christian; he's just a very busy man. He doesn't have time for this, but he does go to the Senate and he tells them that he is going to restore their ancestral privileges. Obviously, when you take over, you want to make sure the power base that really runs the places on your side. Uh, so that so that was a, a good thing for him. So the Senate responds by giving him the title of the first name, which means when all official documents come out from now on, his name will be first. And I'm kind of thinking, well, duh, because he's the emperor. But anyway, they make it official. They also acclaim him to be the greatest August- Augustus. And um, so Connie gives back, and I'm sure we're going to go into this later, but he gives back property taken from the Christians under Maxentius. Uh, he brings back a, a lot of the exiles, and he whoa, releases... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you, you're jumping ahead. Jump, okay. You, you, you're jumping. Right. Stop jumping. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, okay, I'll just mention this real quick. So, um... No. So, uh, let's see here. Bop, bop. So, this is... But I thought this was kind of cruel. Not only does he kill this guy, he kills his family, but he's going to make him disappear from the history books. Again, 
Uh, is that really needed? But but I get I guess they decide that it is. So again, he's he's coming in and he's assessing who's in who's in charge. He gets with gets good in with the Senate. He lets them know that they're his. You know, he's their man. He's they're his from now on, and they're going to get along just fine. And that's how you establish yourself in Rome by letting the Senate know that you're going to take care of them and their needs. He's their man. Did you say he's their man? I'm your Was- man. Was his name Roger Ramjet? Roger Ramjet and his eagle fighting for our freedom. Fly through in and outer space, not to join him, but to be him. Roger Ramjet, he's our man, hero of our nation. For his adventure, just be sure and stay tuned to the station. Come and join us, all you kids, for lots of fun and laughs. As Roger Ramjet and his men get all the crooks they're after. Roger Ramjet, he's our man, hero of our nation. For his adventure, just be sure and stay tuned to the station. Oh, yeah. If I was driving, listening to that, I probably would have ran off the road on purpose. But no, here's here's the reason I brought up the Senate. Uh, I just wanted to mention that there is going to be the arch of Constantine that is going to be dedicated after, obviously, this victory. But it doesn't mention anything about Christians or Christianity. It doesn't mention God. There are sacrifices made to Apollo, to Diana, to Hercules. But what the thinking of by the historians is, is that this was pretty much commissioned by the Senate to celebrate Constantine. But again, even though it doesn't have any Christian, Christian symbols on there, when Connie finds out about it, he does not dismantle it. He doesn't take it down. He doesn't have it changed. Uh, but but it's the Senate letting him know that they still still are firm believers. Uh, they're still pagans, and they still believe in uh, many different gods. Yeah, I think uh, the Arch of Constantine was actually built by somebody who preceded him, and uh, he just took took ownership of it, got his name on it after mm. that. It, al- it was already sort of halfway through being oh. built by one of the other emperors. Yeah, that says it was finished up in 315. But yeah, so again, I think it was the Senate more than him, and he was he was okay with it because, you know, it celebrated his victory. Yeah, and you're right, though. Quite famously, it mentions a whole bunch of gods, and I think I talked about this on a, an earlier episode, but mentions a whole bunch of gods, doesn't mention the uh, uh, Christian gods, uh, but it has a lot of vague stuff, like to the supreme divinity. <laughs> it's... Uh, <laughs> One yeah, size keep fits it all. Yeah. 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 So when Connie and Licinius uh, met in Milan, they issued their famous Edict of Milan. Now, again, for people who wonder why we're going on about this stuff in the Renaissance show, uh, Tony Coniston gave me a hard time when we were in the States. You know, the, <laughs> the only person who starts a podcast about the Renaissance in 400 CE. <laughs> it's you, going, It's like, hey, 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 hey. To be fair, we started it in 300 CE. So, you know, if you're going to criticize me, get your facts straight. Um, Because what I want to show here is how Western civilization uh, ended up in the Dark Ages to begin with and then came back out of it uh, in the Renaissance. And a big part of that story is is the Christians coming to power and and shutting down all other avenues of of thought and research. and exploration of, of the sciences and the arts and philosophy and religion and that kind of stuff. And this is one of the major turning points, the Edict of Milan in 313. You got that, Now, remember, Tony? Sorry. A couple, couple of years ago, a couple of years earlier, Galerius had issued his own Edict of Toleration yeah. um, when he was uh, on his deathbed or he was, he was, he was feeling ill and he thought, eh, I, better, I better keep this Christian God happy. You never know. He might, right. he might he be might, the one. So they can send me thoughts and prayers because I've heard that's really effective. Um, but now Connie and Licinius uh, make it official and, and part of the Edict of Milan says, we have decided... Therefore, to grant both to the Christians and to all others perfect freedom to practice the religion which each has thought best for himself, that so whatever divinity resides in heaven may be placated and rendered propitious to us and to all who have been placed under our authority. Consequently, 
We have thought this to be the policy demanded alike by healthy and sound reason that no one on any pretext whatsoever should be denied freedom to choose his religion, whether he prefers the Christian religion or any other that seems most suited to him, in order that the supreme divinity, whose observance we obey with free minds, may in all things vouchsafe to us its usual favours and benevolences. Aww. Now, if so I then, could, Yeah, go ahead. No, after you. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, to, to ruin your flow. If I could just destroy the Edict of Milan for a second and then we can go on. I was uh, doing the research and I didn't know this. I found it fascinating. It was not issued in Milan. The text is not an edict and it wasn't issued by Constantine. So uh, Christian writers later on will give it this name and they'll, they'll uh, you know, spin it to their own, to their own, to ser- ser- service themselves, sorry, to serve themselves. Um, but I thought it was interesting that these two guys get together. Yeah, uh, he marries uh, Constantine's sister. Was it his sister? And, yes. Um, and then, so, so there's having this discussion about Christianity. Now, not, not to jump too far ahead, but Licinius or Licinius is not going to be able to stay very long because his rival, Maximinus, Maxim, how do you say his name? Maximinius, Maximinius is uh, crossed over the Bosporus and is invading European territory. So Licinius has got to take off and, and fight him. And this is going to be issued later in a in a letter to the governors, as far as we can tell. Uh, but again, it, that all gets whitewashed by the Christians, as they stated as a de fact, as you know, as a fact that it was issued by. They make it sound like it's issued by Constantine, that he's favoring Christianity, and that's not the case at all. This is just the very first time the Roman Empire, by an emperor, has issued, who has established freedom for everybody, as long as you go along with the imperial program. That's what makes it uh, significant, is that this is the first time that they're saying, hey, everybody, you can do what you want, just, you know, just support the uh, whoever's the, the emperor at the time. Yeah, the important thing for Christianity here is it gets not only toleration, but an official legal status. Right. Uh, and and Constantine may have been a Christian at this point. I'm not convinced. It's, it's hard yeah. to tell whether he's yeah, just... Well, yeah, whether he's just um, uh, trying to be nice to them in order to get them on side, uh, or if, if he's ever really a Christian, actually. Um, but whether or not he was, Licinius certainly wasn't. He's still a traditional polytheist. So right. the Edict of Milan, even though you said not really an edict as far as the forms that we have it, it's just letters to governors saying, hey, you know, back the fuck off the Christians, leave them alone. Um, everyone can do their own thing. Um, I think it's it's most likely that both of them were just trying to make sure that the Christian God wasn't going to intervene against them. Just like... Right. They wanted to keep all of the Roman pantheon of gods happy. Mm-hmm. You wanted to you wanted to sacrifice to all of the gods, celebrate yeah, all the gods, just cover your bets exactly. And now they've decided, you know, this Christian this Christian guy, we better get him on side as well. <laughs> Persecution, of course, hadn't really accomplished anything. Right. On the contrary, it had just led a bunch of Christians to demand torture and death, which had like freaked everyone out. Constantine actually referred to it as a civil war that had torn the empire apart. And they're trying to heal the empire, these guys. Yeah. Now, I think, again, we have to keep in mind that Rome has just been through the crisis of the third century, where there were 26 emperors and 50 years. Wow. Then Diocletian came along and, and brought a certain amount of stability to the throne, created the the for emperor system, but Mm -hmm. had to deal with the Christians. And and remember that some of the estimates are that there were 10% of the empire. I had a scholar when we were in Durham say 50% of the empire at this stage. I don't think that's right, but the numbers I've heard is it's about 10%. Now, that's roughly the same percentage as the number of uh, African-Americans in the United States. I think it's about 12% of your population. So you don't want 10% of the population causing trouble for you. It's a, if they all rise up against you, that's a significant problem. Yeah. If, if so, I can just pair... I'm sorry. Sorry. So, I mean, he could have done what America does and just try to put all of them in prison, 
Uh, but they didn't have the infrastructure. So the next best thing is to bring them into the fold. Right, yeah. I, I just wanted to paraphrase what you were saying. Probably the best explanation that I came across for the Edict of Milan, and, and you're right, um, Constantine and, and uh, Max, not Max, uh, Constantine and Licinius were um, just basically trying to reverse a bad policy of Diocletian. Like you said, it caused nothing but trouble. Uh, they're trying to get peace and stability. At the time, Diocletian was attacking a monotheistic religion that went against his Roman pagan religion, you know, the sun worship, God, Jupiter, uh, that kind of stuff. Even though there seemed to be a general trend towards monotheism, this was something that Diocletian could not get behind. And, you get, and you're right, I think it was just good politics. They were trying to appease that God in case he's real, but at the same time, at the very least, appease the Christians, uh, get everybody on board, let's, let's, let's put all this trouble behind us, make everybody equal. But, but the, the thing that you were saying earlier is that um, Christianity, the church can now own property, property. It can now open and, 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 you know, and it can be now be in the open and it can now be an institution. And so now these people who are going to be very ambitious in their own way have freedom to really um, just stand out. And as we're going to see, the Christians are not shy when it comes to trying to gather power and and gather that through access to the emperor. Yeah. Now, while the Edict of Milan provides amnesty for Christians, and as you said, states that they should have all their property returned to them and they get a bunch of other financial benefits along the way, it isn't making Christianity the state religion. That doesn't happen right. for another 70-odd years towards the end of the 4th century. But it is a huge turning point for Christians. Now, the document, um, the Edict of Milan, is found in only two places. One mm. is Lactantius's De Mortibus Persecutorum, of the manner in which the persecutors died, and in Eusebius of Caesarea's History of the Church. There are some pretty big divergences between the two versions. And as you said, it's debatable whether or not it was a formal edict uh, and not just letters to the governors. But that's certainly the way it's presented in Lactantius. But um, interestingly enough, because we're doing a show about the Renaissance in theory, uh, Lactantius's letter itself was a big discovery of the late Renaissance. It only exists in a single copy, which was rediscovered in the early 17th century. Nice. It had been talked about, people knew of its previous existence, but it had been lost until somebody found it in a, you know, a, a monastery somewhere in 1629 or something like that. You go, humanists. But whatever, but whatever the case, the Christians now have an open door to the heart of power in the Roman Empire. And they've come a pretty long way in a few short years. And this is a pretty rare situation, I think, in Greco-Roman history. Mm -hmm. We've we talked a little bit, I think, in previous episodes about the way that the Greeks and the Romans looked upon strange gods, and and uh, it, 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 they weren't very favourable to them. Plato, who we think of as being pretty broad-minded, said mm -hmm. uh, in his book on the Republic that there was no place for those who disbelieved in the gods of their fatherland and of the mm. city of their birth. Even, he said, if they kept their opinions to themselves and didn't disturb the faith of others, they should be placed in a house of correction, or what he calls a sophronisterion, the house of wisdom, for five years where they had to listen to a sermon every day. Just put me in prison. Don't do that to me, please. Just, just lock me away. Religious prison, yeah. This is Plato. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jeez. Now, uh, and, and that's, that's for the punishment for people who keep their religion to themselves. <laughs> if they were propagandists right. of what he called pernicious doctrines, he proposed to throw them into dungeons, keep them there for the rest of their life, and deny their bodies the right of a burial after they die. I have to go back and re-examine Plato. He was hardcore. He was hardcore. And this position was pretty common throughout Greco-Roman history. You accepted the gods of your birth. We talked, I think, in, in a recent episode about 
the state religion in Rome. Uh, Cicero, in his book on the laws, tells us that no man may have separate gods of his own, nor let people privately worship new gods or alien gods unless they have been publicly admitted. So that was the official policy, both in old Athens and, and in Rome. But of course, in practice, people would come up with new religions all the time. Armies and merchants who would be out in the remote provinces always came back with new wacky ideas and gods. It's like <laughs> like people today, you know, they, you know they, they, they go on a holiday to India and they come back wearing garlands and have a red dot in their eye and they're like, oh, have you heard about Hinduism? It's awesome. Um, part of it is like, hey, look at me, I'm different. Part of it right. is just exploring exotic yeah. ideas. And Rome let them get away with it, usually as long as they didn't disturb shit, as long as they paid their taxes and sacrificed at the altars of the official gods. In practice, Rome didn't care what the fuck you believed in private. And that, of course, as we explored in the earlier episodes, is how the Christians had pissed everyone off because they <laughs> refused to get, do the sacrifices and, and started interfering with the ceremonies and all that kind of stuff. But now but, yeah. they are suddenly free to worship as they please. And as we'll see almost immediately, they don't extend the same courtesy to others. <laughs> well, because, I mean, I, yeah. because, Ray, they have the power. Yes, I am going to use that clip a lot. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say, yes, they have the power, but these fucking Christians need to remember that everybody else has the power too. All religions are now equal. All religions are now free to be uh, explored. So, so I don't know. What, I mean, but I guess, you know, they've been persecuted and have had some really bad times. So I guess they're going to get a, maybe a little giddy. But I, I just find, like you were saying, their intolerance so shocking, but if you think about it, if you if you just remove all emotion, you think about it for a second. If you truly are a Christian, you cannot tolerate other people's faiths because you are worshiping the one true God. Everybody is worshiping something that's false and fake, and either you are trying to save them, or maybe you're judging them. I'm not sure, but it makes sense in that they if they are true to their their faith and their idea and their religion, they cannot tolerate anyone else's beliefs, which seems pretty, mm. pretty hoity-toity to me. Yeah, I think that's always been the problem um, with anyone who believes they have exclusive access to the truth <laughs> right. um, and yeah. that their God demands of them that they go out there and convert ah. others to their truth. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a pretty fucked up. Um, idea. Um, now, around 313, Licinius defeats Maximinus, you mentioned before, um, who was Galerius's nephew, so which means there are only now the two emperors, Connie and Licky. And of course, that didn't last long. By 316, they're facing off on the battlefield against each other. We don't really know why. There's some talk in the history about. Some intrigue between the two. This one was going to betray that one, or that one was going to betray this one. It's very hard to know what was going on. But yeah. they they have several battles. Then they make peace again for Aww. a while. Yeah. And they decide to make their sons their Caesars, their second in commands, their emperors. Whoa, whoa. What, what about the Tetrarchy that said, forget lineage, we are going to find the most capable people and put them in charge because that's what's best for the empire. Well, no, they stuck with that. They did think their sons were the best. <laughs> Connie chose Crispus, right? Crispy, Crispy Chicken, son by his first wife, Minavina. Right. Not a bad choice, crispy penis. Not a bad choice. What? Why? Why crispy penis? I what? don't know. It just... Maybe it's the limoncello yeah. in my hand. Just yes, strange boy. Yeah. Not a bad choice, uh, Crispus. He's over 18, had already won a few battles, you know, yeah. reasonable. He's a bit like a young Alexander the Great. But Licinius chose his son Licinianus. Okay, Licky, sure. Licky, Licky the anus. Um, 
who was 20 months old. And he was oh. like, sure, sure, he's an infant, but have you <laughs> but seen the way not- he... Have you seen the way he uh, no, walks around? No. Like, uh, he's uh, he's pretty advanced for his age. Yeah. Lickinianus. Yeah. precocious, right. Lickinianus. I think he's going to be a great Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. Lickinianus. So, yeah. obviously, the Diocletian system of the Tetrarchy is completely broken down. Now they're just <sighs> appointing their own sons. Right. And it's not just Licinius who does this. A few years later, when Connie has a few sons to his new wife, Fausta, Right. The eldest baby, also called Constantine or Constantius, is also made a Caesar as an infant. You're so a Caesar. These guys, you're a Caesar. Yeah. You're, okay. <laughs> they just don't care anymore. They're just it's they're appointing their own children, their own toddlers as uh, Caesars. Now the final break between these two guys doesn't come until three twenty-three. Again, we have differing accounts on the cause. Possibly was Constantine who was the instigator. He was about 10 years younger than Licinius. Licinius is about 60. Constantine's about 50. Um, Of course, the the Christian sources uh, on this Mm -hmm. uh, make out Constantine was a complete saint. Yes. And Licinius was being motivated by Satan, but uh, (laughs) we know that wasn't the case about Constantine being a complete saint, as we'll get into. Um, now, the two Augustuses fight it out over a couple of years. Constantine is finally the victor. He spares Licinius's life on the request of his wife, Constantine's sister, and Aww. throws him into jail at Thessalonica, but then changes his mind and has him hanged the following year on trumped-up uh, charges of an attempted insurrection. I'm sure he had his reasons. He didn't just willy-nilly kill the guy. That's not what a Christian would do. A Christian needs a reason. To kill. <laughs> yeah, the reason is, uh, you know, there could just, only be one. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, Eusebius, the Christian historian and friend to Constantine, writes Then Constantine, dealing with the accursed of God and his associates according to the rules of war, handed them over to fitting punishment. Uh, that's really? his. Uh, that's his euphemism for having somebody assassinated. Fitting oh punishment. God. Well, at least he didn't kill Licinius' son. Yeah, about that. Um, <laughs> what? Okay. What? He? Uh, okay. The kid's dead now, right? Is that? Was that what you're telling me? Daddy yeah, dies. Yeah. Well, okay. Eventually, the kid gets okay. killed. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because that's how Jesus does it. <laughs> Jesus wants you to kill all of the children of all of your enemies. Oh, well, I just found it interesting, and, and um, you were you touched on this a second ago. When, when they start, when these guys go at it again in three twenty three, three twenty four. Yeah, I love the version that I was able to find. Licinius is aided by Goth mercenaries representing the ancient pagan faiths. Constantine and his Franks march under the standard of the Labarum. They are vastly outnumbered, but because of their Christian zeal, they are able to emerge victorious in the several battles. So again, it, this wasn't just a power play like you've seen before in Rome. This is um, this is a religious war, and the true side, the, the side with the true God, the one true faith, won because it was ordained to be so. And that's, of course, the way it's portrayed in in the Christian sources, Eusebius, etc. Yeah. Um, So the the Roman Empire is united once more. Um, Constantine and his son Crispus are the only two left standing. Now, unfortunately for Constantine, the Christians were not united. And I want to talk a little bit about Christian factionalism at this stage, because, again, this is where we see that from very early on, the Christians had this idea that it was my way or the highway. That's basically been the Christian um, modality of thinking from very early on. And this is, part, this is a big thing that leads to the Dark Ages. Uh, you, you, okay. They don't tolerate disparate ideas or, or thoughts, even uh, about their own religion from very early on. So... Constantine has to deal with a number of factions um, from the get-go. 
In fact, he found out as early as 313, uh, mm-hmm. immediately after the Edict of Milan, that the hatred between the various Christian factions was almost as bad as the hatred between the pagans and the Christians. <laughs> we hate everybody. And despite his edict saying that everyone could choose their own religion, right. he quickly decides that there can be only one official flavour of Christianity. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he needs stability. He's getting older. His kids, you know, young or whatever. But he, he needs everything calm because it's a big empire to run. If these guys are going to fight amongst themselves, you might as well just give it up. So whatever he has to do to get these guys to line up, it's good for him. It's good for the empire. And so as a as the civil leader, that's his job. And, and this, guy, this guy is not a philosopher. He's not a thinker. He's a general. He's a fighter. So if he has to whip them into line, by gum, that is what he's going to do. <laughs> but he, they issued this Edict of Milan, which said, complete toleration. Believe whatever you <laughs> want to believe. It's all good. And somebody says, well, 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 I have a different idea about Christianity. No, sorry, you can't have that. But what about toleration? Yeah, yeah. When we we said that, uh, we just assumed you'd all just believe in the one version of Christianity. But I've I've got a different idea. No, sorry, you can't can't have any different ideas. Historian Ammianus Marcellinus wrote 50 years later, no wild beasts are so deadly to humans as most Christians are to each other. Damn, that's true. Yeah. So the first issue that Constantine had to deal with was the Donatist Schism. Donatists are named after Donatus, the Bishop of Carthage and Primate of North Africa. (laughs) Oh, God, here we go. Oh, yeah, baby. Some old forgotten words or ancient melodies. He turned to me as if to say, Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you. without you squeezing my sack like in Brisbane, so I'm sorry I couldn't join in on that. Donatus, the Bishop of Carthage and Primate of North Africa. Now, he was the uh, founding leader of the Donatists, but um, there was a guy called Majorinus, but it ends up getting named after him. Anyway, now, as we, we saw in earlier episodes, during the persecution of Diocletian and Maximian, mm-hmm. many of the African Christians had kind of courted martyrdom. They were like, yes, I want to be tortured. I want to be killed. Oh, it's awesome. Whip me, beat me, pull my hair. Um, (laughs) Pluck away. Yes, I've been bad. They weren't going to give up again. They were being true to their faiths. And when they were told to hand over the scriptures, I don't know if they said fuck you, but they said whatever the clean version of what a Christian can say, the equivalent of fuck you. So these guys stayed fuck true you, to I their think. faith. Good for them. 
I think I said fork you because <laughs> you know no, nobody knows what you're saying when you say that. It's, it's tremendous. Um, yeah, so they refuse to give into the demands to give up their holy books and participate in the traditional sacrifices they demanded they wanted to be tortured and killed but many other christians said fuck that and they just gave up their books and said yeah take them <laughs> no, it's just a book dude like yeah, yeah, yeah take it it's just, I wrapped just it a, in a book bow. okay here's a bow yeah i just want to mention one thing about the donatist and i when i was doing my research um they said they were claim part of their argument was that no man is bigger than his office if you're a priest if you're a bishop if you're whatever and you sin depending on the severity of the sin, you should be punished. And I could not help but think about the sex abuse scandal that the church has gone through over the last 20, 30, whatever years that, that we all know about now. Um, and, and again, they obviously gave that up, but these guys were true to their cause. If if you give up, if if you give in and you give in to the Roman emperor, you can't just come back willy-nilly once they lift, lift the persecutions. We're going to remember that because you wavered in your faith and you are no longer a part of us. And again, you just have to admire their, I, I don't know, their courage or their, their, their faith. Yeah. You're getting a little bit ahead of yourself. there. Sorry. But we, we, Sorry. We, we need to explain that a little bit more. Oh, yeah. So during the persecutions, the Roman governor of North Africa, who was relatively lenient towards the Christians under his hippie. rule, yeah. was, was happy if they just handed over their holy books. Yeah. As, a, as a repudiation of their faith. He's going, that's all right. Just just give me the books. I'll just mark it down that you've said, you know, oh, I'm not a Christian anymore. You don't have to do anything else. Just give up, give up your books and we'll just yeah. we'll call it, you know, we'll call it settled. Um, but after the persecutions had ended, the Christians turned on those people that had handed over their books, particularly members of the clergy, uh, because they were the only people that had the books. Remember, this is you know the three to the late two hundreds, um, early three hundreds. Books were expensive. Books were difficult to get hold of. Um, they were being written on on parchment or on vellum. It's not everyone had it. So it was, it was only the, the the bishops and the, the the priests that actually had books. You know, one Bible per church, that kind of thing. Um, but the people who had handed them over during the persecutions were called traditors, mm. uh, those who handed the holy things over by their critics. Now, one of the traditors named Cacillian had returned to the church once the persecutions had ended yeah. and said, oh, I'm, I'm back now. Um, I know I, I gave up. I said I wasn't a Christian, but I'm back. I want to be one again. I want my job. And he was... He was made the Bishop of Carthage and Primate of North Africa. Now, some of the African bishops were pretty uh, adamant that nobody who caved into the persecutions should be allowed back into the church. They said, look, you know, a lot of people died. Uh, he took the, he was like, a, um, what do you call him in France during the Second World War? Collaborator. <laughs> right. These guys, if, if you like just give up napkin. what you believe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What are we, French? They said, um, you can't just give up at the first sign. You know, you can't deny your God at the first right. sign of trouble and yeah. then expect to get back in, particularly if you're a member of the clergy. The clergy <clears throat> said, had to be faultless, right. said Majorinus. We can't have members of the clergy that gave up on God during the persecutions. Um, but Majorinus died fairly early on. Donatus took over the movement, and so it gets named after him. Now, the, the Roman church, the mainstream church, on the other hand, said, ah, it's all right, let them back in. I mean, come on. Bygones like they, are bygones, they're, yeah. they're, they're cowards. That's okay. You know, <laughs> God doesn't care. God God loves a good coward. Yeah. Haven't you heard the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the cowards. He for, made them cowards. They run away. And they exactly. come back again. Yeah, yeah. Now, so there's this big debate. Yeah. Donatus and and these guys are like, fuck no, we're not accepting these people back into the church. Right. Um, The Roman church is going, yeah, no, no, you've got to let them back in. They're fuck you. Goes back (laughs) and forth. Constantine ends up hearing, holding a series of councils to try and resolve the issue. He ends up siding with the Roman church and tells the African church, the Donatus, to back down. Donatus just ignores him and goes home and goes, fuck you, I'm going to do my own thing. Who died and made you king? And he said, well, Licinius, actually, and Maxentius, and, and a whole bunch of Maximian. Yeah, and a whole bunch of people died. Yeah. Yeah. 
Ah, so Donatus just went back and he built the Donatus Church into the dominant Christian church in North Africa. And here's the thing. They're not heretics, these guys. They're just purists. They were more pure than the Roman church. Yeah. They, they wouldn't accept people who handed over the holy books back into the church. Um, Constantine basically gives up on these guys and just ignores them for the rest of his reign. He wiped <laughs> his move. hands off it. Yeah. But good, he good. did write some nasty things about them. Yeah. In one letter he wrote, They are adherents of the devil who is their father. They are insane, traitors, irreligious, profane, ranged against God and enemies of the Holy Church. Would to heaven that these heretics or schismatics might have regard even now for their own salvation and brushing aside the darkness, turn their eyes to see the true light, leaving the devil and flying for refuge, late though it be, to the one and true God who is the judge of all. But since they are set upon remaining in their wickedness and wish to die in their iniquities... Our warning and our previous long-continued exhortations must suffice. For if they had been willing to obey our commandments, they would now be free from all evil. Now, according to, I think that's in Eusebius of Caesarea, he says Constantine wrote that. We don't actually have Constantine's own writing about that, but uh, Eusebius makes it sound like he wrote this and was uh, taking the the high ground and, you know, being all holy and shit against him. Well, there were, like you were saying before this, there were several councils, there were several decisions. They just would go back to the Donatus and they said, okay, this is what we decided. And like you said, they said, fuck you. So, I mean, they just can't get anywhere with these people. And the more they try to suppress them, there's more street violence and protests. I mean, these guys are just not giving up. And because of their beliefs, they cannot give up. They keep appealing back to uh, to Connie, and like you said, at some point he has, just has to shut it down, ignore them, because he knows he's not going to get anywhere unless he's willing to kill them all. So many years later, in 347, Donatus is finally exiled by Constantine II to Gaul, where he died. So mm. this is like 35 30. years later. He's been building his church all these years. Right. Um, and the movement continued after him. The Donatists at this stage were saying, what's the emperor got to do with the church? We, we don't really care what the emperor thinks. He's got no say in matters. Um, at the Council of Carthage in 410, so another 60 years later, decision was reached that all bishops who, after three appeals to them to return to the church, so we're talking about Donatus bishops here, still right. refused to submit Right. should be brought back to the Catholic fold by force. <laughs> I will compel you to believe my way. Yeah, if you don't believe what we believe, we will beat you in chains until you believe. Now, this is in 410. Oh, my God. Oh my so God. the point... The point I want to make is that from day one, the Christians under Constantine were adamant that there couldn't be any freedom inside of Christianity itself with how you know how you how you ran your church what you thought there's no room for freedom of thinking inside of Christianity from the earliest days uh, after they they get you know legalized right and, and, and even this is after back in 317 where Constantine issues another edict that says he basically threatens death to anyone who disturbs the imperial peace. So he gets to the point where he's so frustrated. He's like, you know, yeah, we're going to have to take some heads. And, and the Roman governor has to send some, some people to, uh, to, to the Donatist. And apparently some were killed. Some of the clergy were exiled. But the ones who survived, like you said, still did not give up. And that, that's been going on for another, what, 35 years. After that point. Mm. And Constantine is using his power as the effective leader of the church to enforce obedience wherever he can. Doesn't really work with the Donatists, but we'll see that he uses it in another group um, in in the next episode. So Constantine um, reveals himself at this point, not just as a Christian, but as a Catholic Christian. And he's trying to enforce the the Roman Orthodoxy's view on things. That changes over time, but the point is that the emperor is determining what kind of Christianity is acceptable. And this, as I said, is where it all starts. With Christianity, it is my way or the highway. (laughs) And now, 
I've eaten cheeseburgers and up and down the highway. Oh, and more, much more than this. I did it my way. Regrets, regrets. I've, I've had, had a few, but then, then again, too, too few to mention. I did what I had to do, so, so I threw without, without exemption. Oh, the king, the king. <laughs> Are we talking about Connie? Yes, the other king. No, Elvis was the king, man. Yeah. No, I, I just imagine this guy crossing the bridge. He's finally taken Rome. He's got the western half of the empire. He's going to, you know, ease up on the Christians, trying to make his life easier. And suddenly, the deeper he gets into it, he finds out that just having that one faith, you know, it's just not as simple as he thought it was going to be. So just as further, the further he gets into his reign, the more and more he's got to deal with these people. And he's probably thinking back, you know, if I could go back to that edict of Milan, that, that was that was probably not my best move. <laughs> and in these early years, there was also another sect that I like called the Circumcellionis. They would uh, walk around begging for food. Mm-hmm. from cottage to cottage or cell to cell, which is where they get their names. Um, and they kind of, like the some of the old Greek philosophers, had renounced the ordinary routines of daily life. Um, but if people denied them the food, they would beat them up. Um, they, they walked around in bands saying they were the champions of the Lord. Right. Carrying wooden clubs, which they named Israels. Oh my God. And uh, anyone who didn't give them what they wanted, they would go into churches and just smash stuff, beat people up. St. Augustine says that when their shout of praise be to God was heard, it was more dreaded than the roar of a lion. <laughs> they the were like some. Somebody uh, has compared them to the Jewish Shikarii of Palestine during the first century, the sort of warrior Jews who started the uh, Jewish-Roman War, Second Jewish-Roman War in the 60s. And also, I think the first one they started too, back in like 4, B, uh, 4 CE. Damn. So they would, yeah, they'd just go around and be, these are Christian raiding parties that would just go around and beat up other Christians if they didn't give them what they wanted. That's like the Girl Scouts ask you to buy cookies, you say no, and then they pull out something and just whack you across the knee. Until you, yeah, until you pull out a gun, them. shoot you in the knee, yeah. <laughs> so this was Christianity in Constantine's time. Mm-hmm. Now, the other major schism, how are we going for time? Um, five, six minutes, it's all right, we can do it. Yeah. So the other major schism that uh, Constantine had to deal with was the Arian Controversy. Mm-hmm. Unlike the Donatists, Arianism was considered a heresy because uh, they had very different views of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, also unlike the Donatists, the Arians weren't confined to a single province like North Africa. They were all over the empire, all over the Eastern Church, Ooh. and raised issues that were vital to the very existence of Christianity. By the way, the term heresy, I think, is interesting. Like, no, there was no such thing as a heresy before Christianity. Right. Before the, particularly the, the sort of, well, the, the, it gets used earlier than this, I think, but we, this is where we really start to see it become a thing in Christianity. Uh, the term heresy is, is from a, the Greek and originally meant choice or thing chosen. Hmm. Um, but in early Christianity, sort of as early as the second century, it was used to define any ideas that were contrary to the orthodox church. But who is orthodox and who is a heretic? Right. Who gets to decide which is the orthodox 
belief and which is the heretical belief. Uh, what, what people tend not to understand, I found, is that all of the early factions of Christianity, and I'm going, I'm going back to the first and second century here, way before Constantine. Right. There was there were there was factionalism in Christianity from day one, uh, quite quite significant factionalism, and all of these factions had equal claim that their ideas came from the original apostles or from the Bible, but. Over time, one of those factions won and then called itself the orthodox Ooh. view and everyone else is a heretic, right? All the rest are heresies. But at the time, they all had equal authority, equal claims to authority. Right. Um, but again, it's, it's the idea I find interesting in early Christianity that only one line of thinking is appropriate. No dissension is allowed. This didn't really exist before Christianity. You know, if you go back to ancient Greece and, and Rome before the Christians, mm-hmm. there were lots of different religious views, lots of different philosophies. Yes, they disagreed with one each other, with, with each other. And we've talked, I think, on the Alexander Show about different schools of philosophy uh, having fisticuffs uh, in in the square in Athens over no it's yeah. uh, this is right no that's no no you're wrong and they, they the students would end up in a fight <laughs> um, bit like poly size students uh, or, or football you know fans right um, but no one tried to ban this religion or ban that one or chase them out of town or whatever you, you could entertain your own ideas about religion and philosophy before Christianity the Christians though had this my way or the highway approach. The, the, you couldn't have different um, ideas within Christianity. And this has always been the case from the very, like it wasn't just, didn't start with Martin Luther. Right. Uh, it didn't start with the, the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation in, in you know, the 16th century. It, this goes way, way back to the very, very beginnings of Christianity. In fact, Christianity itself started out as a heresy. The very idea that Jesus was the Messiah would have been heretical to most of the Jews in the first century. St. Paul would have been a heretic Ah. to Jews in the first century. And I argue that if Jesus actually existed and was an observant Jew, as the New Testament leads us to believe, he would have considered Paul a heretic and a blasphemer. I don't even know where to start. So who's right? Why do you think this is the case where there is zero tolerance for other people's ideas? Well, yeah, I don't know. That's that's an interesting idea, why the Christians had this, you know, my way or the highway thought. I think, you know, it kind of comes out of monotheism and Judaism to an extent. I mean, this whole idea that there is only one God and one truth Mm-hmm. And you have to bow down before that is, um, a, you know, a relatively strange way of thinking in human history. Uh, and then, if you already take the position that there's only one truth, then you have to fight for what that truth is. I mean, who Jesus was, what Jesus meant. Uh, what God wants you to do, these are all part of the one truth. People are going to have questions and, you know, there's going to be different people that have different ideas and they have to fight amongst each other to come up with what the one true way is rather than saying, well, you know, there's lots of different ways to get to the truth. Just pick your own and God God doesn't care. All he cares about is that you're, you know, trying hard, trying hard, being a good person. That's all he cares yeah. about. No. No. You have to you have to sign up for a certain set of ideas, and if you if you have different ideas, then you're uh, a danger that needs to be crushed or killed. See, that's what I don't understand. What about toleration? I have my idea, you have your idea, and if my idea is the true way, if my idea is accurate and superior, won't I eventually win you over? Or you'll see the, the the fallacy of your God who doesn't help you with harvest or your your daughter gets sick or whatever. I mean, I don't know. The fact that I have to coerce, coerce you, I have to punish you, I have to break you, I have to force you to come over. That's that's the part that I don't get, especially with how many times we said in Rome there were 
tons of different gods for everything. There's a god of the hearth. There's the, the god, the god, of the kitchen. There's the god in the front door. There's there's practically a god for everything, and everybody was okay with that. And now suddenly that tolerance is no more. Mm. Well, we're not going to figure it out yes. tonight. No, but uh, <laughs> I wish we could. Let's let's do a review before we go. Um, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, ba, ba, ba. Okay, here's a review from Ryan Connor in the United States. Um, Ryan writes, there may be some Puritans out there who were saying the Renaissance could not possibly be said to begin with Constantine. The unorthodoxy of beginning a podcast on the Renaissance just before his reign therefore offends my sensibilities. <laughs> As the women clutch their pearls in horror while watching their husbands drop their monocles into martini glasses <laughs> aghast, they all know their time has come. This wrecking ball that is Ray and Cam has shattered their world and with it their precious precious orthodoxy forever. May their tears rain down from the ivory towers they have cloistered themselves in, washing away the past and ushering in a new age. The screams of the old guard fading are more rightly heard as the birth pangs of a new day. Well, sir, madam, you must be new here. Those of us who know better see beginning with Constantine for the gift it truly is. The further back they start, the longer this will go. I've studied history formally for a large percentage of my adult life and this, like all Ray and Cam's podcasts, ranks with the most accessible, in-depth, serious history that you will find. Great work, as was expected. Wow. Thank, Thank you. you, Ryan. Yeah. That, now uh, we gotta live up to that. that. Yes. Yeah. Well written, sir. Well, somebody who obviously has an education there, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Somebody has spent too much time in college. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I did, I can't remember if I've read out our, uh, thanked our members in previous episodes. Probably not because I don't know if we had any, I did, uh, did I, I said I people had signed up before we'd actually, I think I did. You've read out I names. Can't I can't remember, remember which show. Right. I think it was this one. I don't know, but, um, I'm going to read out all of our, thank all of our subscribers mm-hmm. to this show. Um, um, oh, really, am I? There's a lot of here. Shit. Okay, you- let's just get into it. Okay. Um, Vincent Gigeri, uh, Natalie Jabiras, uh, Graham Reed, uh, uh, Alex Coniston, Woo! um, Darren Giddens, Bill Prisluki, DJ Billy P had dinner with DJ Billy P in LA. Hey, DJ, yeah, uh, Love Georgina. How do you know? You didn't. You haven't met him. What do you know about DJ Billy P? No, you who's there. the guy? Who's the guy in North Carolina? Oh my God! It was those Bahama Mamas. Sorry, you weren't even in. D- I say, but one thing about DJ Billy P is he's got awesome hair. He's got like an afro going on. It's very very cool. Georgina Buzzacott, Vincent Kurtzdorfer, Brett Hart, Peter Finlay, Adam Wickoff, Sam Scott, Edmund Carson, Russell Murphy, Curtis Jensen. Now you did meet Kurt. Kurt was had a stogie of. and dinner with us. Kurt and his lovely wife Tanya came down from Seattle and spent time with us in Durham. It's lovely to finally meet Kurt. Yes. Kurt, I've, Kurt's been listening to my shows for twelve years. We've been talking online. Met him for the first time in Durham, which was awesome. Uh, Joseph Wilson, Dean Moyle, Darren Bostock, Michael Haddock, Bob Evans, Kirsty Blake, Stanley Pepecki, Matthew Williams, Mary Maxalka, Oscar Pierce, Farmer Oscar. James Thompson, Anthony Rennie, Paula Davis, Stephanie Knoll, Kevin Norman, Michael Avarino, Mark Scott, Joseph McIver, Kevin Richardson, Marilee Nelder, Peter Barron, Ivan Burati, Craig Smith, James Leanne, uh, David Drummond, Richard Sumner, Michael Adamson, Andrew McDrury, Nathan Bailey, Gregory Johnson, Sheena Nichols, Michael Ferreira, Christian Fossum, Quentin Weber, Daniel Jones, John Simmons, Matthew Sherman, Andrew McBath, Jordan Channel Quene, Anthony Da, Jesus Beriano Pena, Robert Sullivan, Wolf Lorian, Dane Forsyth, Sam Harris, not the, the Sam Harris, the no. other Sam Harris, Maybe. Phil Bradley, Carl Lilliqvist, uh, Thibaut Crochon, James Caffin, where's my fucking painting, James? Melissa Weeb, <laughs> Daria Oinero, Stuart Barraclough, Rod Todd Hunter, Rod the Todd, 
Raniel Banking, Yarrow Kluver, Michaela Clare, Jacopo Novelli, Jeremy Curtoy, Sam Norderman, Dan Burkle, Jamie Bennett, Caleb Copeland, Cook, Guy Munnings, Mag Cotty, James Buckley, Luke Foden, Bob Compare, Wes Bailey, Henning Retskin, Stefan Lynch, Lucas Gendron, Andrew Geelan, Peter Konkeko, uh, William Hunt, Richard Sumner. Again, didn't I read Richard Sumner before? What? Okay, I'm confused. Richard signed Super up twice. Fan. That's good. Super fan. Yeah. Jim Petranovich, uh, Derek Lane, Sean Fisher, Jamie Kaplan, Simon Vesey, John Gilhausen, Kylie Semister. <sighs> That's page one. Um, <laughs> do you want to do more in the next episode or do you want to knock it out now? <laughs> knock it I mean, out I'm, now. I'm going to forget yeah. what I'm up to. Gary Art, world's leading Art. travel, world's number one travel photographer, Gary. Matthew Clark, Paul Keyes, Michael Cowley, Rod Rosewell, Lisa Grice, Brad McLean, or McKeon. I'm never, still not sure if that's an L or an I, Brad. Um, Tom Monk, Amber Hutchinson, Matthew Hoff, Sebastian, uh, born Sebastian Burr, Bernard Muckenfush, Lorna Crosby, Nicholas Rock, Clinton Dines, Brian Simmons, Justine Berg, Michael Webb, Kettle Hoons, Ellis Lewis, Thomas Mock, Tommy the Mock. Hang out with Tommy and his lovely wife in Durham. It was always always good to see Tommy the Mock. Kia Cabal, Ruth Berger, Stephen Court, Alan McIntosh, Jesse Proctor, Leaky. Not sure who Leaky is, but hi, Leaky. <laughs> Carl Armstrong, Chris Gluck, local boy, lives up the road. He's going to make me um, make me some cheesecake. Mary Baldwin, Colin Osmar, Kai McGreal, Alan Fremier, Tim Burlingham, Guilherme Corley van der Schaal. Okay, you got enough names there, Guilherme. Uh, Christoph Kakras, Nicholas Ferrer. Some of us only got two, man. Like, think about the <laughs> think about the starving people. Must be know, royalty. Right? David Mills, Andrew Gates, Stephanie Ledison, James Hingley, Nathan Panetta, Vicky Ficklin, Michael Roman, Gary Graponi, Thomas Kelly, Sean Maguire, Anders Horgan, Jeffrey Strankowski, Tony Kynaston, Big Tone, Big Tone, State of Tone, Tone and Alex and. New York and Toronto, we went to a jazz club in New York. We went to, we spent six hours at the Met. We went to the moment we went to the Met. We spent six hours at the Met getting wow. a private uh, art history tour from Alex, who's studying fine arts. Uh, we went out to a cigar club in New York, the Carnegie Club. Went out to dinner with Markham in Toronto, just had a great time. Michael Svensson, Prem Sharma, Peter Spencer, Jeffrey Barker, Richard Little, Marcel Jan Kriegsman, Ulrich Hoxer, Harmpomp, Benjamin Fanjoy, Kenny Graham, and that's that's that. Woo! Good job. Good job. <laughs> I think I've read some of those before, but yeah, you get it again because I can't yeah. remember what I did last time. It's too Thank long you, ago. Yeah, All right, yeah. that is the end of episode four. We'll be back with more Constantine and the descent into the dark ages Yay. next time. Oh.